0: Danny, Danny, thank you so much for having me back, and it's a joy to be back, and I believe you put a
1: spell, a good spell, uh, on the journey of Boy Swallows Universe about two years ago, and, um, I've never, ever forgotten, uh, how kind
0: and generous you were to have me on early on, um, when Trent Dalton and the world of, uh, literary fiction were pretty strange to each other, and, uh, Your interviews across the board. Kudos to you, Danny, for
1: uh, for getting everyone to relax so much that they open up and tell you such interesting things for the benefit of your listeners. So, <laughs> Thanks, Jack. Right. Yeah, well That's done. That's so yeah. true.
0: Oh my gosh, I just told you all these things that I've never talked about before. I was do this and
1: edit that bit out, I could do this, and I was just so comfortable that I was like, ah, ah, ah. It's, it's a special yeah. knack. Who wouldn't want to celebrate this fabulous podcast?
0: Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds and Chat About Children podcast mashup.
1: How exciting is this? Super exciting. <laughs> so, I thought maybe for your listeners, I should introduce myself and you could do vice versa because we're doing this cool crossover where it's going to be available on both our platforms.
0: Yes, let's do it. Go for it, Danny.
1: All right, so I'm Danny V from Words and Nerds Podcast, and I host conversations about books because I really believe in the power of literature and how they can change the world. Um, I've done over 300 episodes um, with over 300 authors, and it's been my own university of um, writing, I guess, and I get to nerd out and talk about books all the time with some fabulous people. And um, it started with, you know, one listener, probably my mum, and three and a half years in, we're at sort of tens of thousands of listeners. So there are lots of book lovers out there. I
0: love it. And I, you know what? My mum still doesn't know what a podcast is. <laughs> no, no offense to her. It's just I'm working on it, Danny. So I'm Sonia Beselich from the Chat About Children podcast. It's a podcast that's loved by parents, carers and professionals who work with children from birth to 12 years. And on the podcast, I chat to experts, authors and love empowering people to grow with the children in their life.
1: I love that.
0: Thank you. Thank you. And it's just over two years old now.
1: Wow. Congratulations. It goes fast though, doesn't it?
0: It does go fast. Time flies when you're having fun. (laughs) when
1: you're always busy.
0: (laughs) And that too, that too. But there's got to be the fun element. Definitely. Definitely.
1: Now, can you tell listeners about your profession and how books play a part in your daily life?
0: Yes. So I have been a speech pathologist for over 20 years. So basically that means I'm facilitating successful communication, both in oral and written form as a means to successfully function and participate in daily life. So books have always played a huge part in my work as a speech pathologist and and pretty much they almost form a daily prescription for a lot of clients you know it's mostly children that I work with um, but also adolescents and adults and books and stories and I know you know this already Danny but they play a crucial role so as a speechy we're training parents and professionals on how to interactively book share and that's to build you know general communication social communication pre-literacy and literacy skills we also are using them to reinforce human interaction and connection and importantly to build a positive association with books and with reading so we're really proactive in being um, preventative when it comes to you know that term reluctant reader we want to prevent that at all costs so that comes from doing a great job with the oral language skills and that positive association with books Mm. and reading so so books, like they—they're just used to yes, to train the mechanics of language. You know how words go together and new vocabulary. But then all the other cognitive functions. So we we'll use them to teach you know, problem solving, sequencing thoughts, predicting, inferences. Like there's a super long list, but that prescription. It's it's it is literally a daily one. And it's not just physical books, it's also for Mm audio books too. No, no, I love that. So that kind of that sums up how books play a part in my daily professional life. And you know, it's it is quite rich and and broad, but I absolutely love it. So I'd love to know, Danny, and learn more about the role that books have played for you, though, you know, personally, and maybe if you think
1: back to childhood. Tell us a little more about that. It's really interesting you ask that because I remember even before school, you know, when my mum would take me to the shops, the end reward of a boring grocery trip would be that I was allowed to choose whatever golden book I wanted because they were kept at the counter back way back when I'm showing my age here. Um, and I remember they were like 99 cents. And so I remember being really excited, you know, you had to wait in the line because that was the time I got to cho- you know, choose my, my golden book of choice. And I've still got them with the date on them, you know, from the 80s. And, you know, I've covered them and given them to my own children. Not all of them translate through time, can I say. Some, you know, may not yeah, translate into 2021, so we put those aside. But I really loved falling into stories from a really, really young age. And it started from the golden books being a reward for me. And then as I grew up, you know, I got into the Judy Blooms and the Babysitter's Club and I just love literature. And then I got into the classics. And so they've always been there for me. And I think what's interesting is that I was thinking about this question before about finding yourselves in books when you're a kid. And I think I did in a way, you know, I found myself as like a teenage girl or a, a young girl going through the normal issues and kind of stuff. But I'm really happy now that there's such a strong element of diversity in YA and middle grade because I think that was really missing from my life, you know, being from, you know, my mum's Australian, my dad's Dutch and Indonesian who came from, you know, a refugee background. And I never found myself in books, you know, and people would say to me, oh, where are you from? And like, well, I was born in Australia and I never understood the question, you know, until I got older. And so I kind of am a bit envious now of all the books <laughs> that are so beautifully diverse. I'm very happy about it, but I wish I'd found them in childhood. So I think although I loved literature and classics, I think I was still always trying to find like, where am I in these books? You know, where is this person? So, you know, a big, they played a big part in my life as a child. And and obviously as an adult, because I I think I wanted to talk about books being consoling. And someone said this to me the other day, because I've always found enjoyment and entertainment as well. But, you know, I grew up as an only child and I don't want you to think I was a lonely person because I wasn't but you can imagine that when most people are fighting with their siblings or playing backyard cricket with their brother or sister I didn't have that and so you know I had a lot of friends I had friends over I'm very close to my parents but there was obviously I had more time alone than I guess most children did and that's when I found books and and as a kid I guess I found them entertaining and I fell into their worlds but in retrospect, I kind of look at them as, a, as, as being consoling and I do that now and we'll talk about that later in terms of, you know, things you do for self-care and books definitely fall into that category of, of, of being a comfort, of consoling you. And Even if I'm reading like the bloodiest crime fiction, <laughs> I still feel somehow consoled about reading this book. I, don't, I can't explain the psychology of that, but... <laughs>
0: No, it does what it does. And that, I think that's the beauty is it's such a unique personal experience, right? And that's the beauty of yes. books that we we all experience and experiencing them somewhat differently. Um, so yeah, I love that. I love that.
1: So significant. <laughs> it is. And you know, I spoke to Jackie French only a few weeks ago, and it's funny how you were talking about reluctant readers, et cetera, And I was, I was really concerned I guess, concerned in a way, but curious about my own children and thinking, are they going to be readers? I'd really want them to be readers. And then I read this research saying that you should not force reading onto them. You should just have a house full of books and you should read yourself. You you should model reading. So I tried this sort of, you know, kind of passive way of getting them into books, but I wasn't convinced. (laughs) I thought, no, this isn't going to work. Surely you need to be pushing books on them. But in my household, it really has worked. And what Jackie French said that was very interesting, the research has said that 70 books seems to be, for unknown reasons, the magic number. If you have 70 books in your house, you are more likely to have children that are readers. Isn't that interesting? That's super
0: interesting. You're making me want to count the books in my house, but I know I have more than 70. That is
1: for sure. I had this conversation with my daughter today. She's like, how many books do you think you have in your study? And I said, I don't know. Maybe we should count them. Maybe we should count all the books in the house. And I thought, no, that's just an old
0: job (laughs) for like a week.
1: I don't have that kind of time.
0: Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but it does play a part because it it normalises them, you know, in the environment as part yeah. of life because um, it's something that I talk yeah. a lot about and I do seminars on is how do we prevent and respond to the reluctant reader. And that's definitely a huge part, you know, the role modelling, et cetera, but also what I call the normalising. You know, having kids understand the function and the purpose Um and and just having them explore what motivates themselves that's the that's the biggest carrot too but yeah you've got to have that space you've got to have them just on the shelf like not Mm, not to show my age but when I was a kid one of the things I loved doing was pulling an encyclopedia Britannica off the shelf and just sitting there just fascinated by everything in there so
1: like yeah and it, it, it was it's so much better than googling wikipedia like it is you know wikipedia is you know, it has its place it's very handy when you're on the road or whatever but there was nothing like opening that big thick book it often had the gold yes. edging and you'd look alphabetically up for lizards or whatever it was <laughs> you were looking for And look these beautiful pictures and these facts it was yeah it was glorious yep, so, i'm great. with you <laughs> we all we know that books help us feel empathy and help us better understand the world and humanity and you know in retrospect I didn't know this as a kid but they're always helping you understand yourself and I, I often wonder with the books that I've been reading for the podcast you know I sort of average about 80 books a year how I would really love to find a way to have measured my brain before and then measured my brain three and a half years later when I sort of really started reading a lot more books than I ever had. So from your perspective and your profession and your experience, how do you think books can change our brains?
0: Yeah, it's a a really interesting question. And I think first up, I think um, slowing the brain down is one important thing to say here because in modern day and as time Has gone on where we've talked about or touched about our ages. Um, But as time has gone on, the rate that our brains are moving at has just increased and, and it's just being stimulated in ways it never had has been before, right? So I feel like slowing the brain down is one way it changes the brain because it creates a beautiful zone of what I call, you know, central focus, And so it cuts out all those, potentially, those interruptions and multitasking. And that's a real privilege this day and age. Um, And then, look, I guess from research, there's huge benefits that books and reading have on our brain function because, you know, you might already know it's an awesome workout for our brain. Um, and And that's also, I think, comes from... Uh, uh, reading a wide variety or lots of different genres and I'm really big on that and I encourage that with the kids. Let's choose something different at the bookstore that perhaps you wouldn't necessarily choose. And you know the reason for that is because depending on you know, the language used or the storyline or where it's fiction or non-fictional or whatever it might be, it's going to stimulate different parts of the brain and trigger those different brain chemicals. So um, I feel like that wide variety is really important. And then I guess, um, you know, again, looking at it from a, I'm not, I'm not a neurologist, but because of all that activity going on, it enhances the brain connectivity. And so that means, you know, it's awesome for memory. Um, And, and when you think about it, it, it creates books and story create a different life experience for you. So, you know, particularly when I'm working with families, for example, where they can't access lots of experiences in real life. It happens through books and I'm facilitating it through books. So those different life experiences, they're going to basically, as you mentioned, they'll pop that person into the shoes of a character or it could be, you know, a story that's entertaining, tantalizing, adventurous, a whole new world, like whatever it is, it's that trigger of different brain chemicals um, all happening at the same time. You know, the visual processing, the senses that can be stimulated in reading. Like it's a totally multi sensory kind of experience. So that's how I think you, when you've got all that going on, it's just in summary, books change your brain for the better.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I love what you're saying about, you know, reading outside what you usually read and reading widely. And I think that's really important. And I have a boy and a girl, but I, always and have never made a big deal out of it but encourage them to read books that aren't in the perspective of their own gender which I find bizarre that you would do that anyway but (laughs) apparently it's a thing you know so I always try and get them to read all different books all different types of perspectives and just try and really normalize that because I think any human experience is interesting to read in and I think what I like about genres particularly sort of like fantasy or dystopia is that they allow you to explore those sometimes tough themes and issues that teenagers or younger kids might go through but they plop them in this fantasy world so it's kind of away from reality so they're still being able to access and find ways to problem solve or become more resilient but it's not so confronting because it's not their world it's a fantasy world and I really like that about
0: yes about books. and what I find too Danny and this is observing from my kids particularly in all three who are like just absolute bookworms the way that they're able to apply creative thinking to situations Mm. just daily life situations they come up with the most out there solutions and ideas to things that I know have been nurtured and fostered through all the reading that they do you know and they're so happy to just throw ideas out that can just be brilliant you know completely not uh, possible in in real terms but I'm still going I love it and I encourage it so yeah there's We could talk about that for a really long time. But yeah, I'm with you. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Danny, I would love to know um, a little more now about self-care because, you know, understanding firstly, you know, how to practice it. And it's different for all of us, but it's such an important life skill. You know, from childhood, we learn or we pick up on various patterns and children also, as we know, we've talked about, they learn so much from books. But what do you feel are the key self-care themes that you're observing or have observed in kids' books, particularly over more recent years?
1: Yeah, it's a really interesting question, but I think there's quite a strong theme. We talked about diversity before and specific, um, you know, examples of of kids either, you know, being refugees or feeling like they don't belong or coming from divorced families and all that kind of stuff. But I think the greatest sort of theme that I've been seeing in particularly middle grade and and young adult fiction is the acceptance of who you are. So I guess that's a broader spectrum. And then you've got all the specific ones hanging off there, you know. And I think it's really important because I think we've all, even as adults, but particularly as kids, because, you know, school can be a very tough place and you're always trying to fit in, which sometimes means conforming or maybe doing things you didn't want to do or questioning yourself because everyone else is doing it one way and you're doing it another. And if you don't do it like everyone else, you're kind of outcast. so it's, it's, it's a tricky time. And what I find really interesting going off track a little bit is that you then you go to university and everyone is like, no, be yourself, don't conform. So, it's completely opposite. You're like, oh my god, I could have been myself this whole time, just had to wait to get to university, yeah. you know. So, it's really imbalanced. But I find that that theme is really important about just being true to yourself and being who you are. And if you are your authentic, vulnerable self, you will find your people or people will accept you for who you are. That's really hard when you're a kid because when you're a kid, the worst thing that can happen to you at school, well, one of is that you don't have anyone to play with. So the simplest thing is that you do what everyone else is doing. You think how everyone else is thinking. You dress how everyone else is. Obviously, we all have to conform to in some way in society. Otherwise, you know, we might find ourselves in prison or something but yep. you know Just a side note yeah. <laughs> so you know there's boundaries and etc <laughs> but it's really sad when I see kids and my own children second guessing themselves about oh I can't do this because what will my friends think and I'm like who cares what they think you know if they're judging you for whatever it is that you want to do as long as it's you know not terrible um you know they're, they're not your friend and so I have really encouraged this with my son I've got to tell you a story that um We went to a this was when he was about four or something. We went to a superhero party and you know everyone was dressed as Batman or Superman. He wanted to dress as My Little Pony. Awesome. And so we were little pony. Yes. Yes. Let's do My Little Pony. And so we, you know, made the unicorn horn with sparkles and, you know, fully dressed him up. And, you know, he was a bit too young to sort of figure out that it wasn't quite fitting in but we've always encouraged that to just be yourself and if you don't want to be batman and you want to be a My little pony well then you do that because what difference does it make you know when they were there they were just all playing on the slides and doing whatever and so i really tried to encourage that but i think it's i think it's actually more difficult for boys to do that and i don't know well i do know why (laughs) because you know it's for some reason, our society, we don't want boys to be feminised, you know, and by we, that's not us. But, you know, there are people in society. So it's a, it seems to be a lot more acceptable for a girl to play, you know, typical, what used to be typical boys games or, you know, climb a tree or whatever. But when a boy wants to do something outside of that, you know, stereotypical masculine activity, that's when people start to freaking out. And I find that really interesting. And I'm actually about to speak to an author, um, Scott Stewart, about his picture book, My Shadow Is Pink, about this little boy who shadow is pink, and he wants to wear dresses, and he loves glitter, and he loves ponies and fairies. And well, why wouldn't you? Like, yeah, <laughs> oh, I get it. Why wouldn't you like those things. And um, it's a very sweet story about pushing back against that toxic masculinity, pushing back against. Mm. Um, stereotypes and just being who you are and this has you know very happy wholesome ending where everyone is accepting of him and you know I hope that happens in life but I know that school is a rather tough place at times but I think as parents um, we really have the opportunity to push really hard back on that stuff and to really help our kids be who they are but that's got to be up to us to call our kids out if they fall into a stereotype or or you know uh, comment about someone who has and really sort of push away those stereotypes. So we can bring up kids who become humans, who are their authentic selves.
0: Yes, absolutely. (laughs) And this is where books come in, right? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. They're our magic wand for, for discussion and the platform for, for just opening up their eyes and a whole new world of, and as you said, accepting themselves. And I love, I love that. And I see it too in books, you know, they're coming through a lot more about, being yourself and accepting yourself. And, and ultimately, as you know, we know a lot about the stats on mental health issues and difficulties getting younger and younger. And I feel like those books that are themed in that way is a massive step in the right direction to really have kids feel like they belong, you know, which is what we all want. Right. And as you said, kind and, of finding your people. Talk.
1: Yeah. And they can talk about those things, you know, because I think there was a time and even myself, I've suffered anxiety pretty much my entire life, but there was such a big chunk of my life where I never talked about it because you didn't talk about it. Cause you were, if you had anxiety, you were weird or you know, you're weak. And it's only in the last very few years, I must admit, and this pains me a lot, you know, that I've been really comfortable talking about it. And so, you know, if you can, if we can change that about our young people as well, I mean, I think that's really important. Because once you acknowledge it, it helps you get a little bit of a handle on it rather than it handling you, I guess. Now, talking about uh, culture and, you know, we, we love society, but sometimes it can harm us, right? So I want to talk about the busy culture because it seems to be a bit glamorised. Like, I'm so busy, you know, I'm so busy. Um, whereas I actually find oh, I actually do that. So I'm a bit of a hypocrite here, <laughs> but... But we have a culture of busy, which is probably given more weight and significance than it probably should. And, you know, being busy, I guess, has this... um you know this idea of being more important if you're busy. You know if you're if you're so busy. And I always think of I don't know if you watch Seinfeld, but I always think of George Costanza, and he <laughs> said, "My boss never asks me to do anything because I just walk around with this folder, this you know, noteboard or whatever, with a pen, and I walk around really stressed and walking really fast, and so no one asks me to do anything because everyone thinks I'm busy." <laughs> and I thought, "Oh, that's interesting tactic." There, Love George. that strategy. <laughs> but I wanted to ask you in your professional, personal. Life. What is the problem with busy, and how can it? How is it so damaging, or can be damaging to our lives?
0: Yeah, well, it's an it, this again interesting question, and I I also look at the word busy itself. Like I'm a word lover, and an, you know, and I analyze also how are we using words, how are we understanding them, and 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 defining them. The problem with busy is that if it's a busy where you're consumed by doing tasks then that's more of an issue than um, obviously because you're not doing the being side of being a human right you know being present or being in the moment or being connected to our experiences so that we're enjoying what's going on in the moment more fully so you know that doing versus being spectrum is is really important and I think the damage comes in when we're doing mostly things that don't bring us joy or we're doing things that are causing us to not experience, you know, positive interaction with ourselves or with others. So that's where the damage comes in because that's when it disconnects us from ourselves, it disconnects us from others. So I am a person that has a lot going on in my day, but I, I, I'm really conscious of the word busy and, and that's because my day can be full. However, my focus each day is to make it fulfilling.
1: Mm-hmm. And that's like
0: the that. difference, right? Yeah, you can have a full day, but how do you make it fulfilling? And mm-hmm. for me, I look at and consider how much am I consuming and doing versus creating and being. That is how I structure my day. So when people kind of go, oh, I don't know how you do it. I'm like, let's think about the word do, all right? First up. I love that. <laughs> you know, because it's true. I'm like because it's true, right? You know, what did you do today? It's all about doing. What am I going to do tomorrow? I got to add to my to-do list. So I'm now I've been working on and I also kind of, you know, facilitate this with with others that I I coach at work and stuff. Let's talk about doing, let's talk about being because they're two different things. And if we get that spectrum right and we've got that awareness, your day can become not full but fulfilling.
1: That's the key I love difference. that idea yeah and I love that because I a lot of people have been saying and you know, I don't know how you put out so many podcasts you know while you have children and you work full-time etc and it started to stress me out not because I was stressed about it because I really enjoy it and, and it actually calms my brain it's one of my little self-care techniques which we'll get to shortly but and it's you know when people start to comment and you start thinking oh Maybe I should take that on board. Maybe I am doing too much. But then, you know, if you stop doing what you love doing, um, I think it's more stressful in a way. And so I really like what you said about full but fulfilling because I feel like, you know, when I have these conversations with people about books or what we're doing tonight about self-care and books and all these other things that have come into our conversation, that is really fulfilling, you know, because you often talk to people that you would never have spoken to before. And that is fulfilling, you know hundred percent. And, and I'm exactly the same. Like, so I'm
0: kind of like, I enjoy what I do. So, you know, it it creates a a positive experience for me. So tick, I'm okay. Thank you. (laughs)
1: now just what do you think about um because it's interesting how you say about connection is really important and i think that too obviously um with people but now i want to ask probably about a bit of a gray area in terms of social media so social media particularly i think in the book community i'm not sure what sort of community you are a part of but the book community is this wonderful supportive beautiful community where everyone supports each other and it's really positive Um, You know, unlike a lot of things on Twitter, (laughs) this is really a (laughs) shining light. And so although you can have connectivity through social media, there's the other side of social media, isn't there, where you are sacrificing that connection for real life connection? I don't think, I don't don't expect you to have the answer. I just thought it'd be interesting to talk about.
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. But I think there's, you know, social media, again, um, we're in control of that, you know, and I agree. I love the author community, author illustrator community, because that is congruent with my values. I love helping Mm. people. You know, I love, I love the celebrating all the cool stuff people are doing. Like I get excited. It excites me, right? It energizes me. So, so for me, I, you know, I look at social media and I go, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna mold this so that it creates the experience I want it to create for me. So that's the first thing. Um, So be selective with, you know, the groups you're in and all that kind of stuff so that you're always getting what you want from it. That's really important that you've got that choice. In terms of the human connection side of stuff, I think, um, again, it comes down to how much How much is the the connection causing that positive experience and for you to have an actual deep, authentic connection with someone? Mm -hmm. And because, yes, you can have, you know, that fleeting, yay, congratulations, your book's coming out, that's so awesome, and like those kinds of things. But ultimately, when, again, I look at the spectrum of the day and it being fulfilling, that's a small percentage. So I know that in reality... Um, so that's obviously reality, but also in my day, where I get my deep fulfillment is from the people closest to me. Mm-hmm. And so it's always, you know, at the close of a day, I'm a very reflective person. I think a lot of authors are. You know, the close of the day, I'm I'm reflecting on the day, and I'm reflecting on who did I connect with, whether it was through, you know, um, a social media conversation, let's say, or messaging, or whether it was through real life. I'm reflecting on how things made me feel. So it always comes mm. back to that feeling and that experience.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. And I think we live in a such a different world. And I always think we're the guinea pigs of this because, you know, we grew up without mobile phones and without social media and it's a different world. And I think particularly in 2020 when we relied because of the pandemic so much on those social media connections because often even if we weren't locked down, we avoided, well, I did, avoided going out A lot and so you're at home a lot you know and so I think to access the outside world you know there was a reliance on zoom and social media etc and I think you know 10-15 years ago it would have been really strange to meet friends or consider people friends on social media but now it's it's commonplace and it's funny because I just came back from a trip um, from Melbourne where I have spoken to these people a lot, you know, on Zoom, on podcasts, um, you know, on social media, etc., and having those in non-face-to-face connections, but connections nonetheless, and then we all met up and I'd never met any of them in person before. And back, I was thinking two things. The first thing was, wow, I'm just going to be this huge disappointment in real life <laughs> because... <laughs> You know, I'm not my curated Instagram. I don't have my Zoom filter on, all that stupid stuff. And then the second thing was, is it going to be weird, you know, because you you can end the meeting, you can write some notes, you can whatever, you know. But um, what the beauty of what happened was that it wasn't awkward at all, I think, because we had made such great authentic connections via social media and podcasts and Zoom that when we met, it was like, Feels like I've already known you for a year. It makes no difference to see you in 3D sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it was a really interesting experience that I think, you know, ten years ago when you said, Oh, I met someone on the internet. <laughs> it sounded really weird. <laughs> Creepy. Yeah. <Yep. laughs> yeah, that's right. And now it's it's sort of lost all that. You still need to be careful, people. Oh, totally, totally. <laughs> not recommending that you You know, not be careful about this. But, you know, I think it's lost that. um, I think we're better at it is what I'm trying to say. I think even though we were the guinea pigs and we are the guinea pigs of internet and social media, I think we're slowly getting more awareness and getting better at it. So that's a bit hopeful, I think.
0: Oh, totally. And you've got to remember that there was a want from everyone to meet in person and that's just Mm -hmm. us as social beings i don't think anyone sat back and went oh no we're good we're good to just keep zooming and good to just keep (laughs) you know i'm sure the suggestion of it'd be great to meet in person yes you know
1: and it was it was really special you know meeting these people for the first time in person it was really special to you know sit in next to them in a chair and share a meal like it was special it was real (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh, you're real people. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. <laughs> Definitely.
0: Look, it's an adjustment. But, yeah, that, that connection, it's its just how we're wired. Yeah, totally. Now, Danny, there are some of us out there, you know, as we've talked about, especially teachers, artists, and we do have to work a little harder at self-care for various reasons. So I'd love to know what your top self-care tips for artists and teachers are and what works for you.
1: Hmm. Well, I'm going to speak generally, I guess, about teachers and artists, um, and then I'll speak very specifically about myself because um, that's my experience. But I think as a, as a teacher, I mean, I read this research saying that a, a teacher on an, any given day will answer to 800 people a day or something ridiculous. I may have gotten the statistics a little bit skewed, but it was a huge amount of people, you know. So you, you've got 30 people in a class, and if you're a high school teacher, you might have five classes a day, 30 times five, and then you've got your faculty and other teachers and ringing parents and all that stuff. So I could easily see how that could happen. You know, you'd have 800 interactions a day, okay, not necessarily with different people but interactions. And so although, you know, teaching, you're always on your feet, it's physically exhausting and all that, I think the emotional tax is underestimated. Um, And I was in the classroom for 17 years. I'm still in education but not in the classroom at this this moment and I think I just needed a, a little break from that. And it's because I think even unless you have done that and been in that profession, you can't understand that emotional tax. And so, you know, as a teacher, some of my self-care was just driving home in silence. It sounds really simple, (laughs) but there's so much noise going on in any school on any given day, even if it's good noise. And when you've got, you know, 800 people. Or 800 interactions a day, like that's massive. You know, you can't understand how huge that is. And so I think just allowing yourself to sort of almost just wash away all of those things at the end of the day and find that quiet space for you to sort of rebuild yourself. Because I feel like as a teacher, you're giving. So many, and I felt this. If you can visualize this, I felt like you were giving away pieces of yourself every day, whether it be knowledge or emotional support or a little pat on the back or feedback or whatever, you were just giving little pieces of yourself and I felt by the end of the day like I was this kind of see-through person yes (laughs) when I'd given all my pieces away you know (laughs) and you had to sit in in quiet or do something that really nourished you back to sort of being rebuilding those pieces of you back together so you were no longer this you know transparent hologram (laughs) is how I (laughs) visualize it. So I think that's really important and that can be underestimated, I think, if you've never done it. I'm I'm sure there are other professions who are exactly like that, but I'm just speaking from, you know, an experience that I've had. Um, I think as an artist and speaking to lots of artists, I mean, we're creative people, creating podcasts and, you know, you've written a book, et cetera. So, you know, we fall into that creative area. I think there's a lot of self-doubt that comes with being creative. And I think it's always about pushing back against that self-doubt and trying to believe in yourself. And I do think self-doubt can be can be good because it can push you to be better. But I also think it's a bit of a knife's edge where it can also make you not do anything at all. It can stifle you or it can stop you from doing anything. I mean, I've been in that position before. I've spoken to so many amazing authors. I've never finished a manuscript because I've always got that. Well, why bother? Because you've spoken to X person you'll never be as good. Just put your laptop down. And so I think you need a balance of that self-doubt, self-doubt in terms of reflection and taking feedback positively, but then really, you know, being kind to yourself and saying, but I'm not going to let it stop me, stifle me, or, you know, make me live in fear of, of failing because, you know, I try and instill. We have this natural ability to not want to fail and I don't know what it is but I always tell my kids it's fine like who cares like if you come last in the school carnival swimming whatever who cares like did you do it did you have fun did you get wet in the water like who cares <laughs> yeah. I always say I'm one of the the focus parents so you know <laughs> eighth place yeah let's go out to dinner <laughs> <You> know, so <laughs> just who cares about failure because I think it, it's a greater failure not to do it You know, I think that's the failure. If you want to do something and you are and you don't do it because you don't think you're good enough, I feel like that's a bigger failure than doing it and not maybe getting the result that you wanted. So I think I see that a lot when I speak to people, particularly writers about, you know, one day to the next. I thought my work was okay. It's terrible. The worst writer in the world. You know, yesterday I spoke to Jack Heath, who has written 35 books in 15 years, a very accomplished author. And he said, that's still in his 36th book, two thirds the way he goes, I am talentless. I have nothing to give. (laughs) And I think if someone who's written 35, pretty amazing books in 15 years has that self-doubt. I think that's just part of being an artist, being a human. But I think when you're creating something, it's perhaps magnified more than, you know, than if you aren't creating something. Oh, Um, absolutely. Yeah. So look, I said, I talked about my anxiety. I'm actually pretty comfortable talking about it now. And so I thought I'd I'd share some of of my self-care for my anxiety because there have been times in my life where I have been unable to get out of bed and leave the house. Um, And that's when I know that, wow, I need to really sort of up my self-care but what I try and do I try and live in that sort of preventative mode where I know I have an anxious brain I've now come to terms that it's never going to go away I think at some point I had this idea that there would be some sort of magic cure but there isn't one it's always going to live with you so I think accepting that makes you go a long way but I try and do self-care every day to try and avoid that point of you know, being bed bound and being too afraid to leave the house. So that's happened to me a couple of times and I'm sure it will happen to me again. And I think being prepared for that, but knowing that you can also get out of it. And I think because I've been in such anxious states, like I said, where I I honestly didn't know if I was going to be able to leave the house again. And I know I've come out of that. Hopefully if that happens again or when that happens again, (laughs) I will be able to look back and go, I was here before I know that I can get to the other side because there's always that fear. I think when you're in that anxiety, I've never had depression, but I imagine it's the same, That you're never going to be able to get out of it. And so I hope that I remember that you can. So in terms of self-care, just for me to function every day, yes, <laughs> um, I really got into meditation and I, I heard this, um, you know, someone said that if you're too busy to meditate for five minutes a day, you should be meditating for 10. <laughs> so I really like that the point know. made so Yes. flips it on the head so I I try to do my meditation in the morning before I get out of bed and that's my you're not getting out of bed until you do this because otherwise you get up you have breakfast you get busy you get distracted and then you go I'll do it later and it never happens right so if you do it first thing in the morning before you get out of bed it's your ticket to get out of bed yes. <laughs> it gets done and sometimes if I'm having a particularly anxious feeling day i'll meditate multiple times throughout the day you know 10 minutes here 10 minutes there 10 minutes here because everyone has 10 minutes to take care of themselves so that's really important Um, I like, like I said, the hobbies with the pod and people say, how do you do it? Doesn't it stress you out. I'm like, no, but this conversation is stressing me out because the podcast calms me. <laughs> <laughs> it makes me have these great conversations with people. I'm present. I'm in the moment. You know, I'm being fulfilled. As you said, I'm learning things. So how can that not be a good thing? So the hobbies and, you know, I don't know if distraction is a great technique for self-care for anxiety but you know i do a bit of that but i'm, I'm sure someone's going to skate that's a really bad thing to do healthy distractions um, yeah healthy distractions um reading obviously um i always feel and reading is a is a meditative state they say i don't know if it's six or seven minutes i'm taking all these stats from memory but they say if you read for a specific amount of time it, you become in a meditative state so i think if you're doing your 10 minutes meditation and half an hour reading i mean you're winning in the day um, I, I like I like being indoors, I must say, but <laughs> I find it really important to get out in nature and go for a walk and walk through trees and walk on dirt and, you know, that grounding of putting your feet in the sand. Like I find that really important because I think some days attached to your laptop, you become really disconnected from nature. And so I really try and take the time to just go and do that, you know, bike ride with the kids or a walk for the kids or take your shoes off and stick them in the sand because I find that really important for me socializing that face-to-face or that connection you get from people who you care about or who have same interests. um, I think that's really important. And I was also speaking to someone else last night who, who has anxiety as well. And I said, you know, but sometimes it's also really important to push yourself out of your comfort zone. Not totally. I'm not saying go swim with crocodiles, I'm just saying that's danger zone that's that's right it's going to cause lots of anxiety Um, but pushing yourself out of your comfort zone in a kind of controlled way right and I did this recently in Melbourne like I said I went to Victoria and I met up with these people who I'd never met face to face before and another author and I we stayed overnight at this apartment on our own and you know, that's kind of out of your comfort zone, you know? And so, but I thought, you know, we've booked the place. My family was six minutes away. Um, I, I knew this person very well from, you know, our interactions on the podcast, etc. And so pushing yourself out of your comfort zone without making yourself really anxious. So I think it's just continually pushing those boundaries a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. So you don't, you know, Stay in your bed all the time because it's tempting. Um, and, And I guess, you know, when I get to those really bad states, which I have in my life, I'm totally upfront about this is the time I need to go back to therapy and see a professional. And, you know, I'm very upfront about that because I think some people feel there might be some shame to that, but I actually think not at all. If you need help, you go get it. If you had a broken arm, you wouldn't try and mend it yourself. You'd go to the doctor and get plaster, right? So, if you're feeling something that you can't fix yourself with all these self-care things, you need to see a professional. That's what they're there for. And I know that they have helped me immensely when I've been in these really troubling places. They've been able to help me um, get myself out. And still, I still use their voice in my head when they say, you know, just do this or just do that or whatever techniques they've given me, I still hear their voice in my head. Um, and, you know, also, you know, there's, I don't think there's any shame in, in having to take medication if you need it. And I do when I need it. And that is just a part of my life because, you know, (laughs) I have an anxious brain and, and anxious sort of chronic anxiety that I live with. So I think talking about it, being upfront about it and doing everything you can to be that better person, you know, and I knew I had to do it. I had two little kids and I thought, you know what, if I, even if I want to do this for myself, I have to do this for my kids. I have to be a good role model and I want to be a really good mum. And so I have to get out of this. So I just threw everything at it and I still try and maintain those things. And I bought a calming blanket. And I've got to say, oh, it is my awesome. best friend. <laughs> it really is. It really is. I go to bed even in summer with this heavy, heavy, hot blanket. And I just think, oh, yes. Yeah, Beautiful. the weighted blankets. <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. I love it. Yeah, so that that was a lot, but that's what I have to do <laughs> to get up in the morning. So
0: <laughs> but you've worked out what works and it's it's, you know, and what works one day is not going to be the same for the next day, you yep. know. So it's that toolbox that you're talking yep. about that you can, you know, reach into and go, I think this is what I need or yep. hang on what that, you know, doctor had said years ago, that's another tool that I need to pull out today. Um, but that that toolbox, that's what's important, that you've got one, that you can yeah. reach into it. Yeah.
1: Um, and it's only a recent thing. Like I said, I've only been able to talk about it recently. And I feel like, you know, that's been a positive. And I hope that in, in, anytime I know that someone else is troubled by anxiety, I'm always the first to reach out and go, you know, I'm not an expert, but I know how you feel. If you want to chat about that or about nothing about our chocolate or whatever I'm cool let's do that you know so I I always think because I know people reached out to me when I was in dark places and I don't think people understand how much it means when someone reaches out to you and go hey how you doing are you okay you know and I know that there are I've seen on social media, people are very conflicted about a you okay day? You know, some people hate it and think it's just tokenistic. Some people are really into it. But I think as long as you don't just do it on that one day, <laughs> that you yeah, do actually, right. which I think, was the, I think was the point of the day, was to continually ask people, are you okay? And not in a tokenistic way. I think it's about how you do it and how you approach it and really say, are you okay? Honestly, seriously, vulnerably, authentically. And if you aren't, I'm here to either talk about it or to talk about nothing or to just sit with you in silence and have a tea, you know, and that can really help. You know, I've sat with friends in complete silence because they know they can't do anything about my anxiety, but it's still nice to share a cup of tea with someone and know that someone is there willing to sit with you in silence. You know, that is a gift.
0: It's a gift and it's huge because often there's that, I guess, I don't know if I'd call it yearning, but just that real appreciation that you've got someone who's non-judgmental, yep. who's got your back unconditionally and is there. And that means the world. You know, it just means the absolute world. And I think that asking the question, are you okay, is definitely important. And, and what you said about authenticity, 100%. And I think part of the listening, um, you know, I've, I've asked this question and I, I'm thinking of um, you know, a, a fellow mum who I've known for years and years, and it had been months since I'd caught up with her. And when, when we caught up, she said, um, she was talking about her kids, and I got the big rundown on everything that her kids were doing. And, uh, and it was all fantastic and positive. So after about half an hour of that, I kind of paused and I looked at her, like looked at her in the eyes. And I said, and how are you going? Tell me about you. And she looked at me, Danny, like no one had asked her that. It was like this shocked silence. Her eyes just welled and she just shook her head, tears rolling down her face. And she said, I don't know, Mm. you know, and, and, and it's, it's kind of, I, I guess that, that, that highlights the importance of listening and the human connection because we can hear words, but you've really got to listen and look, look at the body language, look at all the other stuff, you know, that's going on as well. Um, Because it's all too easy to just go, oh yeah, she's fine. Oh, the kids are fine. That's all great. Um, But that listening, that really deep, authentic listening, that's where that connection happens, doesn't it?
1: Now, I just want to ask you before we go, what works for you in terms of self-care? Okay, well, um, self care—it's
0: self care—is something I've had to refine very much so um, over the years, and that's that's simply because you know, as I said before, yes, there's a lot going on in life, um, and I had three children in two and a half years, so it was a real whirlwind um, and a super steep learning curve. But I guess for me, you know, the three key things that I do now for self-care, and again, it's been refined. One thing that I do every day is create space for myself. And before that can even happen, there's always got to be a decision. So I did make the decision to commit to myself every day. So that's the first step. So I create space every day. And typically, it's in the morning. I do like to get up early in the morning. um, And that's just Almost like it's a non-negotiable. I love it. I love getting up early before anyone else. The silence is is just golden. And that space, that's my time to reconnect with myself. You know, I'll have a shower, I'll moisturize, I'll light a candle, I'll spend, you know, some minutes just reflecting in gratitude. I'll look outside, I'll listen, listen to what's going on in the outside world, like the birds, like I love that. And then I just tuning to myself. So I listen to the outer world, listen to the inner world. And then I love doing some writing. And what I love about writing is there's no rules. I don't set any rules. It's just whatever, whatever needs to come, just out it comes. So it's that space of just freedom and feeling that liberation first thing in the morning. Um, And then I set up, state of being, you know, I talked about being before, what would I like to be that day? Now, it doesn't always play out, but that's my mantra for the day. I'd like to be experiencing more joy or, you know, seeing more joy or being as patient as I can or being calm. Like I'll choose one that I feel I need for that day. And that's the mantra I come back to. So as the day kind of flows on, I just come back to that, that setting that I set in the morning, first thing, And it works wonders. It does actually work. So I love doing that first thing in the morning. The second thing, and you touched on this before, nature. Gosh, I I just love embracing nature. So I do live close to the ocean, which is an absolute gift. And I just love the, the really simple way that we can reset the rhythm and our physiology. I just love it. It's that's, that's healing and therapeutic in itself. So I get to the ocean almost daily if I can, even if it's for five minutes, um, whether it's to walk or sit. Um, and if I can't, then I'll just pop into the garden. <laughs> it's just to stare at a leaf. It doesn't matter. It's just slowing me down. Um, so nature is the second. And the third one um, is, and this again, it takes practice and it's really honing into my self-talk, keeping it honest, um, and keeping it uplifting. And, you know, we talked about, you know, that self-doubt that's always there to some degree, but there's also grit and there's also perseverance. And so I look at how do I keep my self talk positive yet honest, you know, so I'm not delusional, but I'm dreaming. (laughs) Um, So, and that takes a bit of, bit of tweaking. Yeah, I love that though. Um, And I like
1: what you said about getting up in the morning and sort of planning in your head what you're going to do and what you're going to be. And I went to this, um, you know, work professional learning thing not long ago and it was about professional life, but I took a lot of it for my personal life as well. And so every time you walk into a space, a room, whatever, what am I here for? So you have purpose every time you go in. And I try and remind myself to do that every time I go somewhere, what am I here for? And so when I got home, I sat in my driveway and I thought, okay, what am I here for? Because as you know, when you get home from work and kids need to have baths and showers and everyone's crying and there's dinner and no one's eating it and all that stuff. It gets really stressful, you know, but I thought, what am I here for? Okay. I'm here for my kids. I'm here for whatever we do to take as long as it takes. If it takes them an hour to go to sleep, that's what I'm here for. And I think once you center yourself, when you do that, when you go inside your house, because you're prepared and you now have purpose, I think then you become a bit more patient and, probably hopefully a better person because like okay what am I here for I'm not here to be impatient or to be judgmental or whatever I'm here to care for them and be their mum so I think that centering is really important. It's huge
0: Danny and what I've found is that in practicing that is that I've become a lot more responsive rather than Mm. reactive.
1: Yes it's been a
0: massive massive shift and it again it takes time and it takes commitment But the Mm, benefits, like I can't even begin to explain it. And then I see the flow Mm. on effect to my kids as well because they then, you know, through osmosis in some ways, they also see it and they're experiencing it and they then respond to each other in similar ways. It's not like this perfect fluffy household, but it has certainly become a lot more um, of an aware household.
1: Um, Yeah. It's about learning. learning. And I, since I've come back from that, I haven't done it every day, but now that we're speaking about it again, I'm going to write it, put on my study wall somewhere and go, you know, this is what I've got to try and focus on because we're all going to make mistakes every day. That's okay. As long as you learn from them. And as long as you keep learning, you know, none of us are ever going to be (laughs) perfect parents or people or we're all going to make mistakes, but I think being able to forgive yourself and, and being better, that's what it's about.
0: Oh, it's huge. And and openly communicating that with the kids. like I do that all the time. The communication yeah. is really important.
1: Oh, yeah. I'm learning, learning as I go, just like you guys are. All of us are learning. That's right. And what an amazing conversation this has been. I know we came to talk about self-care and we came to talk about books, but we've just gone on these huge tangents. And I I think already from this conversation we've had, I'm going to take on board some of the things that you've said about having a fulfilled day and a full day and not worrying about, it's not a busy day as long as you're fulfilled and and trying to remember to do that, you know, that centering of yourself and um, what's your purpose for every time you walk into a room so I've just loved this chat so much I hope listeners you know get something from it and maybe they can add to our conversation on social media about their own self-care or the things that they do because I think that'd be really interesting as well because this is a two-way conversation I'd love for other people to, to jump in and tell us what they do as well but you know Sonia it's been an absolute joy to speak to you I can't read wait to read your book flourish for mums here it is beautiful cover and i know we weren't here to talk about the book but it's here and i can't wait to read it so thank you for that and thank you so much for this you know wildly deep diverse conversation (laughs) it's been an absolute absolute pleasure and
0: thank you for adding to the fulfillment of my day (laughs)
1: likewise